Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, we're on our final week of our series called Crave. It's been a three-week expedition into the human soul, and we've talked a lot about uh, our cravings that we're all driven by our cravings to one degree or another. If you're hungry, you will crave food. If you're thirsty, you crave water. If you're underwater for too long, you crave oxygen. All of us, regardless of our dreams and our goals and uh, regardless of what each new day requires from us, we all crave something. Some of our cravings uh, deal with basic physical needs, but then there are other cravings that reside much deeper, and we've called these soul cravings. These are cravings that are relentless in nature and they are screaming out to be satisfied and they go deeper than our flesh and they go beyond our understanding and beyond our mind's ability really to fully comprehend and understand them. And we've been asking as the body withers without food and water, is it possible that our soul begins to wither when it is deprived what it craves? We all have cravings, doesn't matter who you are or Uh, Where you've been or how much you've accomplished, the soul craves. It's almost as if we said that we've been created with a factory defect that regardless of how far we've traveled or how much we've accomplished, there's always something in us that, that is craving something in the future. It lures us, it pulls us to something, and for some that something is still unknown, but there is a soul crave within us. We've broken our soul crave down to three areas. Week one, we talked about this idea of destiny. And by destiny, we're not talking about fame and fortune and riches, but destiny is this idea that our soul craves the knowledge, the understanding that we are moving forward in life, that we're not moving backwards, that something awaits us in the future. As humans, we don't live well without believing that tomorrow can be better than today. And without that belief, we fall into despair and depression. There is a craving within us for destiny, to know that our lives are heading somewhere, that there's something in the future that awaits us. Even at our worst, there's something in us that craves to be better and noble and extraordinary. No one wants to be defined by their past. That's our craving for a destiny tomorrow moving forward. Last week we talked about our craving for intimacy, that our soul craves love, which is strange when you think about all of the problems that love can create, that we're still addicted to this thing called love. We still crave it. I mean, how many Romeo and Juliets need to lie dead on the floor before we give up our addiction? Why have we not evolved past this primitive desire to give and to receive love? We, we can't shake it. With all that the human race has accomplished, we, we put We put people in space to live. We can clone life, and yet we still crave this idea of love. It is impossible to be unaffected by love. We are most alive when we find love, and we are most devastated when we lose it. Put that next slide up, please. Most devastated when we lose it, most empty when we give up on it, most inhumane when we betray it, and most passionate when we pursue it. We can't shake it. It seems that love is beyond our control, that we're addicted to it. And here's where I begin to hold to a conspiracy theory. It's almost as if we have been 
purposefully designed and created with a factory defect that continues, that continues uh, within us, that continues our search for love. That it's almost beyond our control that there's something in us that continues to crave it. Could it be that we are searching for a love that we have lost or perhaps more strangely we are searching for a love we have never known but somehow we know it awaits us? Is it a coincidence we've been asking that all humans share these common cravings or is it possible? Is it possible that Someone actually put them there. And could they be an echo of something bigger within us? And could they be the fingerprints of our Creator that He placed within us our craving for for destiny and for intimacy and meaning that we're talking about today, that it is the fingerprints of God on the soul of humanity in hopes that our search would eventually lead us to Him. Join me as we pray this morning. As we talk about meaning Would you stir that in us? Would you speak to us about meaning and living a life of purpose and a life of vision? And we all crave that in one degree or another. And Holy Spirit, would you lead us in that? Would you place us on the path that we should begin on and let us be obedient to wherever you place us? Let us take that first step in your leading. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and would you convince us today of your love for us and your mercy towards us? And would you convince us of your goodness, and especially to those who feel maybe that you're against them or that you have withdrawn from them, would you convince them of your love and goodness? And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We as humans were driven to make sense of life. We, we crave meaning. We want to assign meaning to every experience in our time, to our time on earth. If you could uh, categorize uh, what humans are really like, we are meaning machines. Meaning that that we apply meaning to everything. We are compulsively connected to this idea of meaning. If, If you grab a pencil and just begin to tap it on a desk, what seems like random and 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 just you know taps coming in random order with no meaning until sometime in the 1800s that, that a guy named Samuel Morse actually put meaning to the taps, the, the Morse code, right? And, and what, was, what was once just random meaningless taps now is the basis for an entire language of the telegraph back in that time. We crave meaning, even meaning into what appears to be random tapping and clicks and dashes. And we assign meaning to everything, to symbols and We give meaning to smells and to colors and facial expressions and hand gestures and touch. And there's unspoken meaning. We we know it as body language. Guys, if you're married and you ever come in and your wife is standing like this, you know there's a meaning behind that body language. We assign meaning to everything. On my finger is a wedding ring that has great meaning. And if I ever leave the house without this ring and my wife Sheila notices there is meaning behind what she will tell me when she notices that I'm not wearing my ring. It's, it's, it's just kind of this, where's your ring? And I, I took it off, I was doing yard work, and I left it on the, the nightstand, and she's like, she gives me a, mm-hmm. 
Which the meaning behind that is, boy, that ring better be on your finger the next time I see you. There's meaning to everything. A diamond fell out of her wedding band, and I replaced it with what I thought was a good thing, a bigger diamond. And she was sad because the original diamond is what had meaning to her. We place meaning on everything. We are meaning machines. We even sometimes, sometimes read meaning into meaning that isn't there. We have a name, name for it, right? We read between the lines and we say things like, well, I know what you said, but I'm not sure what you mean. Because we're meaning machines. We assign meaning to completely meaningless events. We call it superstition. Superstition is the improper relationship between cause and effect. We apply meaning to everything. Between the ages of five and eight, I was afraid to step on a crack. In fear that I might break my mother's back, right? There's meaning to random things out there. And, and, and seven years, bad luck. If you break a mirror, that's seven, seven years, bad luck. And if you can blow out all of your candles on your birthday cake with one breath, whatever you wish for will come true, which was, which was cruel and unusual torture for an asthmatic like myself who could never do it, right? I was like, like dude, my brother's laughing. Try it again, Marty. It's like, like you know, it's torture. Knock on wood or cross your fingers or, or you know, wash your car and it will rain the next day, which I think that one might be true. So that's probably not a superstition. We, we are driven to find meaning in everything. And even if there is no meaning, we will assign some type of meaning to it because it's just in us. It's a crave. I had a lady once call me, true story, who read meaning into her postal code. Now, not her you know, 85388, whatever your code is, the longer postal code. And she called me up and she was frantic because her longer postal code had 666 in it. And she was freaking out. And I told her, you need to move immediately. Leave everything behind. Get out of the, get out of the house. And, and she was literally, she's freaking out because she's putting meaning on, on a postal code. I said, would you feel better if it was 667? She's like, yes. I said, okay, then you'd just be the neighbor of the beast. But not the beast itself. It's like the, we, we, we assign meaning to, to every part of life. So, you know, there's 777 is good, but 666 is bad. Unless you're Asian, then fours are bad and eights are good. We put meaning on everything. Is it just a coincidence? My dog doesn't care about meaning. What is it about humanity that we have to have meaning in everything that we're doing? We're driven to find meaning. Here's something to show you. Maybe you'll laugh at it a little bit. Maybe you won't. I did. But here's the greatest meaning applied to something completely meaningless. Go ahead and show that video. Whoa, that's a full rainbow. All the way. Double rainbow. Oh, my God. Whoa. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Woo. Double rainbow all the way across the sky. Oh my God. Wait for it. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> Too much. That's what it means. 
I don't even know what to say, right? I mean, talk, listen, now those of you that you, you know, it's, it's God's covenant, the rainbow, and if you've seen God in a rainbow, please, no emails, but come on, that's, that's a, you talk about assigning meaning, let me tell you what it means. It means that, it means that light is, is passing through little droplets of rain and it's bending into the color spectrum, that's what it means, but we, we, ha- we have to read in to everything. Why is that? What is it about us? And could there be a bigger reason? Could it be part of our Creator's design in us to find meaning in every part of life? What is it about the human race that causes us to seek meaning and to live a life of meaning and to know that there's a purpose behind every event? I mean, uh, ever have a time in your life where you felt life was meaningless? Or maybe you had a time in life when you felt insignificant. And, and when you felt like life was meaningless or you felt insignificant, it was probably the most honest and truthful feeling you've ever had. You should run with that feeling, matter of fact. You should go with it because you've tapped into a reality. Because uh, 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 the reality of it is, is that we are meaningless, that we are a speck on this big earth that doesn't even know we exist, that we have no meaning whatsoever. But what happens is when you feel that life is meaningless, you have people that gather around you and they lie to you. They tell you how meaningful you are and how much you add to the world and all the gifts and talents you have. And they try to convince you that life is meaningful and that you're meaningful and that you make life better. And they're lying to you, but I will tell you the truth. You are nothing. Life is meaningless. Now, some of you are thinking, I hope he's getting to a point. Because even as I say that, and if I I thought about calling somebody specifically who struggles with meaning and use them as an example, but even as I say that, there is a visceral response in us that says, no, we even become angry at this idea of somebody telling us that, that your life is pointless and meaningless because something in us intrinsically knows that my life should account for something. And I'm asking, is that just by chance? Or is it the fingerprint of a creator on our soul that says even when life is at its worst, I believe that my life was supposed to have meaning of some sort odd thing about humans we don't do well when we feel our lives are meaningless i wear these glasses because i can't see and uh, with the glasses things become clear and i have focus and meaning is kind of like that that meaning is the lens that we view life through and without meaning life becomes uh, uh, unclear and and becomes messy and murky and confusing and our soul grows weary We will spend our entire lives searching for meaning. It is that important to us. And who placed this in us? And this is again where I land on a conspiracy theory. It's almost as if we've been created with a factory defect, a default that causes us to crave meaning constantly in every situation in life. I mean really, searching for meaning is like breathing. It's something that's intrinsic. to the human spirit. It's inside of all of us to seek the meaning behind an event, even when we are so big, right? Or was I the only one that had inquisitive children that wouldn't stop asking the question, right? Barely able to walk, and they're already asking the most profound philosophical question known to humankind. Daddy, why? 
right? At, at such a young age, the question is already coming, Daddy, I need meaning behind something. And they don't fully comprehend what they're asking, but, but Daddy, why is it? Dad, Daddy, I, I need to know why, which is really cute for about the first week. And then you begin to regret teaching them to talk, right? Because why is everywhere and everything. And as a parent, you know that why isn't really even the most important question. Like a bigger question that I would love for my two-year-old to ask when I had a two-year-old was, was how? Like, or, or, or where? Where's the good question that they should ask? Like, Daddy, where do I put all this poop that's in my diaper? Now, there's an important question that my two-year-old should have learned to ask. Or, Daddy, how? Like, Daddy, how are you able to wake up without pee being all over the bed sheets? There's a good question. Or what about what? Daddy, what is that smell? Those were all questions that would have caused their childhood and my raising of my children to be so much smoother. And if you think about it, the question of who, what, where, when, and how, those are really the more important questions and, and, and really they can be explained by our struggle to survive as a species. Here's what I mean. Throughout the evolution of man, the human race, now not evolution as in creation, but you know, we've been an evolution of, of, of man. Throughout the evolution of the human race, these questions have been tied to our survival. For example, who? Who got eaten? Oh, Krug. Krug got eaten. Poor, poor Krug, right? Going all the way back to the beginning. And, and what ate him? There's an important question. What ate him? And here's an important question. Where did it go? Or when did it get here? And more importantly, when did it leave? And maybe the biggest question of all is how. How did you survive? Those were all questions that need to be answered in the survival of the human race. And yet, the why really never enters into the equation. I can't see early humans sitting around and saying, why did the raptor eat Krug? Why do they have to be carnivores? And why do we have to be made out of meat? Right? I don't think those were questions that were being asked. Regardless... No matter how much is done for us or how much is provided for us, we can't escape this nagging question of why. Even the more that we advance as a species, the more that we're able to eliminate our need to ask all other questions. Calculators do our math, computers do our research, restaurants do our hunting, malls do our gathering, movies do our living. We can still not escape this question of why. Why are we here? Why does this matter? Why do I feel like the way I do? Why am I alive? Those are the questions that haunt us. There's a personal why question that we need to answer. Within each of us, there's this craving for purpose, this craving for meaning, to live a life on purpose. There's a craving in each of us to answer the question of why am I here? Everyone wants to achieve something. Everyone wants to uh, have a life that is meaningful. Nobody wants to remain in anonymity for the rest of their life. And if you've ever thought about this, what is it that drives us to achieve? My dog has no drive to achieve, but what is it about us that drives us to accomplish something? Why do we, we want to make the world a better place or at least make the world a better place for us? Where does our creative urges come from and why are we not content to just be spoon-fed for our entire lives? You were created as a creative being. You were made to grow, to dream, and to achieve. Your soul is letting you know that you come from God and your life is intended to be God-sized and God-inspired. And so if you had to define for yourself, why are you here? What would that look like? Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. He said it like this, where he defines his purpose. Acts 20, 24, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me. And now he's going to explain 
unless he accomplishes this. That my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, listen, my life, my existence is futile, useless, ineffective, in vain, unsuccessful, unproductive. My life is barren unless I accomplish blank. So what would your answer be to that question? But my life is worth nothing to me unless I blank. How, how, how would you answer that, or, or can you answer that? My life is worth nothing to me unless I blank. And when you begin to fill in that, and there can be several answers, that begins to show you your personal meaning in life, because what you don't want to have happen is get to the end of your life, and you draw your last breath, and you see a life that is meaningless because you spent time pursuing things that ultimately did not matter. And so this has to be an answer of crystal clarity. And for those of you that are followers of Christ, I hope that your pursuit of Jesus is top on that list. And then from there, there can be other answers. And they may look different for all of us. But if you cannot answer that, you're struggling in your meaning and your purpose in life. Answering that question begins to uncover the personal path leading to meaning. And so what does meaning look like to you? Do you believe that God could have placed you in any time in human history and yet he placed you here and now. To me, that means God has created me with specific gifts and values and placed in me at this moment in history because I am uniquely prepared to reflect His glory and to do His will and to fulfill His divine revelation and vision for me at this time in history. I'm going to show you a video piece of a a lady that uh, is in our church, and I love her story because it starts out as just a simple step, and then God begins to uncover her purpose and her meaning. You'll see it here. Let's run that piece, please. Hi, my name is Jana McDonald, and I'm the volunteer area director for Young Life in Surprise, Arizona. So I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in the church, accepted Christ in elementary school, and began my walk with Him. I also was very concerned with growing my career. I've been in uh, long-term care, working in a lot of different capacities um, for the last 23 years. For the last 13, I've been a nursing home administrator. That's what moved us from Colorado out to Arizona. I'm married um, to Chris. We've been married for um, 22 years. And we have two boys, Tristan, who is 18, and Tanner, who is 15. And we moved out here for a job for me. And that was, that was the reason we came out here, or what I thought was the reason. And I threw everything I could into that job. I was climbing the career ladder. And it was a good job. Enjoyed what I was doing. But I realized that I was not spending a lot of time with my kids. And so one day in the fall of 2012, Tristan, who had been involved with Young Life at Paradise Honors High School, came home and he said, Mom, I don't, I don't see you. I don't get to hang out with you. You're working too much. And they need girl leaders for Young Life. Would you, would you want to come hang out with my friends and be a Young Life leader? And I may not know a lot, but I, I know that when your 15-year-old son says, come hang out with me, you do it. And so I started going to Young Life having no idea what to expect. Um, 
but I knew that I was following Christ, but I wasn't doing anything to serve him. I wasn't doing anything to grow my faith in him. And so I went and I, I can't really explain um, what that was like to walk into a room of a hundred screaming high school kids and, and, and just be totally overwhelmed uh, by each one of them and their stories. Um, that sent us down a path of going to winter camps, to um, beginning relationships with the college kids who would become leaders, to uh, having Bible study for the girls in the spring of 2013 in our house. And the more God was moving us into young life, the more the, the intensity and the drive to, to be successful in my career and to climb that ladder kind of waned. And it, it, was, it was a strange transition that was happening. Um, we began supporting Young Life financially. We began spending our time with the kids. And it, had you asked us six, eight months before that, we wouldn't have even considered that. What was interesting that spring of 2013 uh, was that the paid area director, uh, Keith, God was moving him to Colorado. And God put it on my heart and my husband's heart and some people that care about Young Life in the area to consider what Young Life was going to look like. Uh, the area is totally supported on donations and honestly we didn't have a salary for another full-time staff. So there was the question of do we continue it or do we just let it go? And after a lot of prayer, I stepped into this role as a, as a volunteer area director. So now I have kind of two jobs. What was supposed to be a very interim situation of just a few months, um, three years later has turned into my passion. What's crazy is when you start walking down that road with God of, okay, Lord, I'll do anything you ask. Um, I want my faith to be lived out and not just something that I profess, not something that I believe, but something that actually becomes a living, breathing part of who I am. Um, God takes that willingness and does incredible things. The adventures that, that I've gotten to be a part of, everything from taking kids surfing in California to zip lining, uh, down a zip line at Lost Canyon, uh, on sea kayaks, sitting under the stars with kids and praying for them to accept Christ just incredible experiences that I would never have gotten. And it was so different than what I believed I was as a Christian to what now I'm getting to experience in walking with Christ. The thing about our purpose is we really don't know what it is until we ask God to show us. Till we say, I'm willing to do whatever you, you, you ask of me. I tell the kids, I tell them that sometimes we're afraid to say, God, um, I'll do anything for you. And usually he doesn't ask for us to do everything. He asks for us to do something. And that's what I said. What is the something that you can do for God? Maybe it's just a small thing, but it may send you down a path that you had no idea was going to be your passion. Had you asked me um, five years ago, my passion was elderly. And it still is. I have a huge heart for our elders. Um, I would not have told you I have a heart for high school kids. I would not have told you I have a heart for college kids and middle school kids. God placed that on me when I decided to ask him the question, what do you want me to do? It's funny also when you, when you figure out your purpose, when you figure out what you're passionate about, it kind of runs in the opposite direction of what society says. 
Um, the passion I have right now is to figure out how to um, somehow retire from my very well-paying job to be able to go on Young Life staff uh, as, as, as a full-time staff member, raising my own salary to be able to do that. In, in the world of, of the economy of the world, that makes no sense. But with Christ, it, it, it's the only thing that makes sense to me at this point in time. So I've been the area director for three years now. And in that time, God has taught so many things to me. There's been so many really incredible moments spiritually. I, I can't even tell you how many times I just sit back and go, I cannot believe I get to be a part of this. I can't believe that I get to do this. Who gets to do this? Um, things that uh, have just struck me. When we have the time at camp, we send the kids out and a lot of them have never left the valley. And we take them up to Lost Canyon to Williams, Arizona, and they're in the woods. We turn off all the lights in camp and the kids have 15 minutes to sit out in the total dark and look at more stars than they even knew existed. And they get to have a few minutes and talk to God and their stories that they bring back from that time when we were like, what happened when you were out there um, are incredible. They realize that the God who made all those stars absolutely loved them. My purpose, what I feel like God has placed me in this to do is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and it's to show kids that they are loved by loving them, not just because we're telling them, to show them that they have a community and they have people around them that care about them. On Sunday night, we took our leaders and we hiked up to the top of the white tanks and saw all the lights of surprise and asked for God to expand our influence. There are 12,000 high school kids and about 12,000 middle school kids in Surprise, Arizona, and we're touching about 150 of them. And there are so many kids that need to know that, that God loves them. And whether that's at Reveal, whether that's through youth here, whether that's in Young Life, being a part as an adult of showing kids Christ's love, it's, it's a huge purpose. It gives my life such meaning. And that's why I keep showing up. That's why I work all day and go home and hang out with kids all night. My name is Jana McDonald and I crave meaning. We just found them off the streets, pulled them in today.
You guys were awesome, and I'm just not saying that. Love to see our youth stepping up and stepping in. Great job. I love Jana's story because she found meaning and purpose, really in a place that she wasn't even sure why she was stepping in. And that seems to be how God works, that we take a step and God begins to piece things together. And we probably all have a story or two like that. It's largely my story. You know, it's, someone asked me to start learning to play guitar at 16. I knew three chords and it led to one thing of leading in a group. And then someone asked to be on a small worship team. We were horrible. And I said yes. And then someone asked me on another worship team. And I said, yeah, we were horrible. And, uh, you know, it just kind of grew. And someone asked me on staff. And then someone asked me to speak. And meaning and purpose, they kind of get pieced together. We're not even sure what we're stepping into, but what we are sure of is that God's calling us to do something. And so what does that mean for you, for your meaning and your purpose? If you're unclear, what, what does that begin to look like for you? Maybe, maybe you need to volunteer with Young Life and start to sow into some kids. Maybe you need to volunteer in children's ministry here, or uh, maybe, maybe you need to step into some ministry outside of the church, but God will begin to piece your meaning together. Let me close with this. There is our personal meaning that we search for, but then there is an eternal meaning. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, he said this of, about life. He said that all of life was meaningless, utterly meaningless. Ever, everything is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1, he says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind, meaning because everything is meaningless, God has placed this on our shoulders. And I've seen all the things that are under the sun, meaning I've experienced all that the world has to offer, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then 11 chapters, uh, he, he kind of comes to this conclusion again, everything is meaningless. He said, I've tried it. And he pursued pleasure, and at the end he said it was meaningless. Good while it lasted, but in the end, left me empty. I pursued ambition worked himself into the ground to accomplish great things. He said it was meaningless. But Solomon pursued power and wealth and fame and said in the end it was meaningless. The book of Ecclesiastes is just riddled with cynicism and bitterness. and uh, He does begin to see some purpose of God into this. And he states in chapter 3 that God placed eternity into the hearts of man. And we still cannot fully comprehend all that God has placed in us and all that God is doing. And it kind of echoes this idea of what we're talking about, this fingerprint of God on the soul of man, on the soul of women. And he says that God placed eternity in the hearts of, of humanity that causes us to search and to look and to hopefully find him. And in the end, Solomon says this. He says, in the end, here's what I know. That life without God ultimately is meaningless. And you can carve out meaning without being a follower of Christ. And I've never liked it when people said, you, you really can't know what love is unless you're a believer. And then they say, well, you really can't love your wife unless you're a follower of Christ. I, I, I don't agree with that. I think that God's placed love in us as an image bearer of God. Now, are there things that we may be lacking in that? Absolutely. I'm not diminishing following Christ. If you're new with us, please give me. You can carve out a meaning for yourself and not be a follower of Jesus. But in the eternal scope of things, you cannot process the happenings of the world without coming to the cross of Jesus. Because it's in the cross that we begin to find the answers to the things that drive us crazy, like why does bad things happen to good people? And why is there so much evil going on around us? And, and while we may not have answers that satisfy us, at, at the foundation, what the answer is, is that there is no problem that will be 
permanent. And if there is no creator, then we live and we breathe, we experience the highs and we experience the lows, and oftentimes it can feel like the lows win. But with the relationship with Christ, we realize that no problem is permanent, and in the end, God's promise is that I will make everything new and I will make everything right again. And when I do, it'll be better than you ever imagined. This is the meaning. This is our journey. This is our crave. This is our existence. We are searching for personal meaning and we are searching for a greater meaning of eternity. My hope in this series, which is unlike most series that we do, not a lot of points, more things for you to think about, more things hopefully to wrestle with. And I know some of you from a creative side, you liked it and others are like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. My hope is, is that you would be wrestling with some of these questions. And the main one is, is your crave for destiny and intimacy and meaning, is that the fingerprint of God on your soul calling you to himself? Join me as we pray. Today I pray that God would bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. And today I pray that God would bless you with anger at injustice and oppression and the exploitation of innocence so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. And today I pray God would bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain and rejection and starvation so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And today I pray that God would bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. I bless you, Reveal, to find your meaning and your purpose. I bless you to find the intimacy that you crave and the destiny you so strongly desire. Release us today as we leave these walls. Let us leave not breaking apart the church, but we as a church are going into our community and let us represent you well in all that we say and all that we do and everything, how we act and how we treat and how we love, how we respect, how we serve. We bless you and we thank you for meeting with us today. We pray in the great name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer, love to have uh, somebody pray for you. Don't run out without uh, allowing someone to pray for you if you need it. Don't forget the 24th is a service day. Next week will be normal. Look forward to seeing you guys then. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.